side joint Ooh, cold side joint Good chilly autumn evening to you, Amarin. It's chilly here in the Ozarks. How's it going up there in Idaho? Oh, it's downright cold here in Idaho. So it's I was I was being euphemistic. It's cold here too. <laughs> oh, good, 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 good. Yes. I've gotten it's so cold here that I've gotten defensive about it being cold. Like we'll be outside and Chris will say, like, it's nippy out. And I'll be like, no, it's not. It's freezing. And there's really don't no reason like for me, me to enforce that. Yeah, like he's there and he's experiencing <laughs> it too. I don't need to affirm that. But <laughs> I am so cold, I have to double down. So yeah, I have to apparently emphasize to you as well, it's so darn cold outside, Jesse, <laughs> but I'm trying to keep my spirits somewhat warm in spite of it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I've... Uh... A couple years ago, I've always like hated winter with a passion. And just a couple years ago, I was like, what if I dressed for the weather? <laughs> like, rather than wearing um, like... I don't know, Jesse. That sounds a bit ambitious of you. Rather than wearing what? Shorts and like skirts like well into October like I do? No, no, I wasn't trying to Britney Spears it. I was okay. I was just wearing like jeans and Converse and a t-shirt. When in reality I needed to be wearing fur-lined boots, thick pants, and a sweater and a coat and a mm-hmm. scarf and a hat. And when I did that, I actually was like, oh, this is fine. I was miserable for years. Because I literally just wasn't like layering enough. Turns out, yeah, if you just would have bundled up a little bit, it would have been yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. This so is certainly not lost more. on me. Yeah. I yeah, I'm you. sure you that figured that good. secret out, but it was a yeah, code no, I just cracked. No, no, no. It, it's it's also really tough for me. And I yearly am in well into the other. I think I might be lazy. I'm not sure. <laughs> But well into the new season, I find myself just putting on um, outfits that are better suited for the last season. And then I start putting on like Mm. really cute outfits for that season, usually about midway through. And I have this brief period of time where it's like, heck yeah, Amron, way to be really on point (laughs) and just correctly in the moment in the elements. And then that ends pretty quickly when we transition to a new season because I had such a late start. Mm -hmm. But it's okay. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah mm-hmm. that's the way that, of things yep that sounds like the cycle of sounds life. like another way that we are soul sisters all right a uh, couple of things before we hop on to our discussion today thing number one uh solace my son has decided he wants to be a sports drink maven he wants to invent his own sports drink um and so he has asked me to ask you and our podcast followers what flavors yes. they would like to see outside the norm. So FYI, let's put that out there. Call out Ooh. for that. Second call out for our listeners, guys. We are collecting stories right now of people's uh, cult or just commune experiences that are funny. So just a funny, like whether it's a day in the life or like a crazy thing that happened or a crazy person you bumped into. Don't say their name if they're if you're calling them crazy, but 
we know a lot of good stories too. So uh, we're looking for those. We're going to be doing side episodes of just like people's own experiences outside of our own in communities of all kinds, whether they be cults or not. Uh, so send those our way and we will be very excited to read them. We're excited to get that going. We're just in the collecting stage right now. Third thing and last thing, uh, actually, sorry, <laughs> I have two more things. Uh, third thing, we now have a Patreon. So uh, we're we super excited about that. We just covered uh, all of the first season of The Vow on HBO, which took a couple episodes. We covered uh, Teal Swan, The Deep End. So that's different than covering like Teal Swan, which I was telling Amron about in the main feed. This is we both watched The Deep End, which is not what I was covering previously and discussed it ad nauseum. Uh, we covered women talking. One of us loved it. Mm-hmm. One of us hated it. Um, yeah. Although we found some common ground by the end of it. Uh, so that's, uh, yeah, that's we where did. we at, are at in our, our Patreon. A lot of people are telling me they don't know what Patreon is. So if you don't know, it's a separate app, but it's a paid tier where we are giving um, they double the content. So on, on regular feed that will always be free, you'll always get an episode per week during our seasons. Uh, if you subscribe to our Patreon at $5 a month, it is uh, another extra bonus episode each of those weeks that we are active in our season. So it's doubling your content there. I myself subscribe to lots of other Patreon uh, podcasts because if I like somebody, I like them a lot. I'm all or nothing. That's why I join cults. Yes. Uh, and last, last thing, um, in November, which... Uh, it will be by the time this is out. I actually did an interview on another podcast. It's the Inside Community Podcast, uh, sponsored by IC.org, which is it. Oh, wow, I'm losing <laughs> IC.org. Intentionalcommunity.org has their own podcast, and I was their November interview. So you can kick on over to their podcast, listen to that interview. It's about cults I join, um, just talking about that and and my community experiences in general. So that's super fun. And while I'm talking about IC.org, if you are interested in community uh, on the entire spectrum from the craziest cult to the most secular, basic, like land trust for yuppies situation, all of those you find at ic.org, intentionalcommunity.org. It is, but it is the letter I and the letter C.org. Uh, that's where that is the information hub for all communities all over the globe. globe. That is their mission. They collect all that info and then give it to you. So if you're looking for a community of any kind, that's where you're going to go. Also, right now they are struggling. So if you're looking to be charitable toward the end of the year, they are a .org. So they would be a great place to put your money. I'm done now. Let's do this. Amarin, what cult are we joining today? It's a joint effort. Today we do one joining, not real cult. We're joining the village today. Oh, I've already lived there for years in my head. It's a sacred happy place that I visit in my dreams. <laughs> Oops, spoiler alert, we've ruined the episode. <laughs> People are like, we're going to see the, ep- the like listener retention for this episode. It's going to be like uh, six minutes, 55 seconds. And then it's just going to drop off because we've solved it. <laughs> we're already in, folks. No, uh, but no, we're going to talk about the movie The Village today. It's our very special mm. movie episode. So I'm not surprised by the content today because it would be really, really awful to have to listen to me attempt to guess and then keep up with the exposition about a film, I think. Ah, true. 
also true. So we both rewatched it. Uh, spoiler alert. Listen, this is an M. Night Shyamalan film. M. Night Shyamalan is known for his crazy twists in his plot line. This is by now what we'd call an old movie. If you have not seen this, I insist <laughs> that you turn this off and go watch The Village first. You've or got I will to ruin it for you. And that's not fun. So go watch you the don't want before. to spoil it. No. Listen, M. Night is someone I adore and I don't want to wreck his art by by throwing people off of it. No, so. absolutely not. It's not going to be something that we are comfortable doing. So you have to go um, at least hear the spoiler from someone else. I won't bear that label. Okay. Yeah. Don't be me. Don't put Couldn't that on us. Me. Nope. I have a pure reputation, so okay, move it along. <laughs> uh, if you have seen it, we're really happy to have you here. I really want to start and I with just the most random thing at the highest level that has nothing to do with anything about the movie, but it does. And that's, I don't know how, and I might mess his name up, but you, I don't know how familiar with are with Roger uh, Ebert or whatever, Ebert, who is like yeah, the movie sure. reviewer um, that everybody was very interested for a long time. When I was just prepping for this recording today, I was just curious what he had to think about the film because I always like to see it in relation to my own. Hated it. Absolutely hated it. Really? And I thought that was just something really funny that I wanted to kick off the podcast with was just the fact that I checked this review out expecting at least a mid-range review. And in fact, no, one singular star in this July 14th, 2004 review from Roger um, or whomever wrote this. I'm not sure when Roger passed. At some point it became ghostwritten. But yeah, um, I was shocked. I, I, I love it. I love the film. I am not someone that would agree with this take. Also, he was alive what? at this time. So this probably is his take. Mr. Ebert, whom I have respect for, sir, in this flawless piece of cinematography perfection, do you have a problem with? Is it the best cast anyone has ever amassed? Is it the Uh unspeakably beautiful setting and background? Is it the beautiful language? Is it the interesting story? What is your... What did he say? What does he have to say for himself? He, okay, so here's a couple quotes just to whet your appetite, your, uh, you know, whatever the phrase is. Um, It says, here's one quote. It says, um, it says (laughs) that the film is deadly solemn, which is fine, but he calls the whole enterprise a shaggy dog story, um, which is in a way all secrets he says he can hardly discuss it without being maddeningly vague. Um, he says it's all his whole argument is basically like this is a fl- he calls it a flimsy excuse for a plot. He says it's basically like low hanging fruit kind of um, and that basically like it's in an unspecified place at an unspecified time. Everything is super vague. Nothing is clear. It's all kind of smoke and mirrors. And then boom, there's a revelation. And that's not that surprising because you haven't been given any information. So how is it like a work of art? I don't agree at all, but that is how he kind of felt. And he didn't really like any of it. This movie is an allegory, good sir. So I'll thank you to take your ideas about how something should be structured and move them over away from the field of allegories. 
Okay. Yep. I agree. I agree. I'm glad we got that out of the way. I am so glad we got that out of the way. Um, I will say though, um, that this, that is kind of like a fun hanging dagger for us later on in the end of the podcast towards the end. I do want to talk about public perception and reviews. If that's not something you also yeah, have. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cause I think that'll be fun. So we can kind of circle back to that, but I think before that and having christened it with that terrible opinion, we're probably ready to get into it. <laughs> so I, who do have a degree in literature and so think that my opinion is somewhat valid in the realm of stories. I um, love this movie deeply. It is probably, thank you. It's probably my favorite movie of all time. Um, it is probably mm-hmm. the number one cult that I would join of all time. And even above mm-hmm. Midsummer, which you know that I would totally join. Absolutely. We know. I, I did ask the, the cast in this is brilliant. This is William Hurt, Sigourney Weaver, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, Adrian Brody, mm-hmm. Adrian Brody. I mean, we could go on and on and on. Just a brilliant cast. And I did ask myself this round, if this were cast with people who weren't like transcendently both aesthetically beautiful and great actors, would I as much want to join this? I Hard to say mm-hmm. because just this cast of people to myself, I think are some of the best actors of our time. I could not say enough good things about Joaquin Phoenix all alone. It was the second choice for my name for solace. Um, Hmm. Yeah. So I, you know, um, just a brilliant cast. Also, I really like M night Shyamalan. All of his stories are fairy tales. All of his stories are allegories. Um, I happen to like his, way of storytelling and i really like his cinematography it's always like he uses blank space really well visually if you ever watch an m night Shyamalan film there's a shit ton of of uh scenes with like a whole bunch of blank space like a whole wall and half a face coming out or like just a person in a doorway with a whole bunch of he just uses blank space well that's my my probably my professional artist coming through but i won't harp on that anymore I tried myself to actually stay away from the plot as much as possible. Like we'll go through it chronologically through the plot, but you know, here at cold side join, we're not here to review actually whether or not the village is a good movie. It's a great movie. Uh, But, (laughs) but we're here to talk about the community in the movie and whether or not we want to live in it. So we are primarily interested in this community and, and the plot is just there to keep us in the community so with that um i've got a little bit of just like a framework here so let's start at the beginning the scene opens for the movie um on a funeral we see a man weeping his child has died it does actually pan mr ebert to a grave that does have a date on it it's like 1890 something right so they actually have Mm -hmm. set themselves in a time like concretely and that makes sense because you realize later that they're also using like school books from a certain period of time like they have real Mm -hmm. mcguffey readers and stuff that are from a so they've they have actually locked themselves into a prescribed date and time it's just spoiler alert not actual time it's not in line with the actual time which only the elders of that community know so we see someone weeping over there um over their child's grave. Um, uh, I'll just say once again, like everything in this village is beautiful. You want to talk aesthetics of the village for just a moment? Mm-hmm. 
All right. Yes. You go and then I'll go. I don't even, it's just beautiful. I love the aesthetics of the village. I think that no, I think that no area is complete without a little looming threat. I'm not kidding. Mm. Hear me out. I think that anywhere that is laced with like myth, you know, and it's kind of feels a little bit alive and the environment itself is just kind of like, ooh, I love that. So for me, yes, like while someone may be like, these people are scared of monsters, would you consider that to be a great environment? I'm kind of like, maybe, yeah, because it's beautiful. It creates these little rules. I love a lot of things Mm -hmm. about it. I think that it is aesthetically, of course, beautiful. I love the idea, I've said this before, of an off-limits color. I think it's very silly. But in this one, they have a reason for it, which totally Mm -hmm. removes the problem, okay? So it's very fun (laughs) because I love an off-limits color. But if it's arbitrary, what's the point? Definition. Uh, Well, I will just remind you that FLDS doesn't wear red because it's Jesus's favorite color. So. Oh, they fall man. within I really their set you up for that there. I'm so <laughs> sorry. I forgot that Jesus. Yeah, I did forget. Um, so in this, this blissfully aligns with the LDS situation there. And um, yeah, I just, I love it. I also have to say, I know we're talking aesthetics in terms of like the way that the location itself looks, but I'm a cloak girl. And I know you probably oh, as well. So a big cloak with a perfectly draped hood. People walking around in those stages set for Amron, you know, stage is it's good. Please have me, me at cloak. Me. I don't need to know anything else. Listen. Oh, yes. If you oh, yes. pull onto the side of the road and you're all wearing cloaks and you tell me to get in the van, cloaks. I'm getting in the van. I'm in the van. I'm fully in yeah. the van. Oh, oh, my gosh. One more thing. Yeah. I'm not trying to. And then, and then it's all you. I'm so sorry. I'm all worked up. Communal oh, dining tables outside. Shared feature with Midsommar. Um, okay, big win for Amarin. I love a dining together moment. I love a communal, like there's just something so human, sa- sacred, spectacular about eating together and then doing it in mm. nature. Mm. It's so spectacular. Put a cloak on, knock it out of the park. Uh, so in the communes that I have lived in for extended amounts of time that I would consider like my home bases, uh, they all have long rows of picnic tables and we eat outside communally for like two yes. meals a day, 365. I mean, like not in the dead of winter, but like all the way up to it. And then we just eat mm-hmm. communally inside. But but being outside. Uh, yeah, no, it it literally never loses it never Perfect. loses its appeal. You can be there never. for 10 years and you're still like, yes, I still love this. My favorite thing was uh, people from this community will recognize this community for this. There used to be a big persimmon tree that kind of loomed over um, where we had our long row of tables and we'd all eat outside together. Um, and so like persimmons would fall in your soup in the fall. Oh, It was delightful. Wow. That just sounds... <laughs> picturesque why yeah. not yeah okay <laughs> love it yeah love oh. it okay so also in the village when we're talking aesthetics so um just to set the picture for you guys it's a lot so it's in a beautiful valley all around the valley they're surrounded by woods which is their border like they can't leave the valley they can't go into the woods that's their world it's just this little but it's a beautiful valley 
um, the buildings scattered through it are uh, like stone and clabbered and all the walls are very plain. There's no like kitsch. There's no decorations. Everything yeah. is plain. The, you know, there's a stone fireplace in every house and in several places in each house. And, oh, they've got the black ironwood cook stoves. And there's clearly a communal kitchen where like they're baking the bread for the whole community always. And so in the in the beginning, you just get a little tour of the village. You know, you see these you see them all eating at the long outside picnic tables. You you pan past the kitchen where somebody's bringing out racks of loaves of bread. There is a constant like throughout the movie as they pan the village they shoot several times uh like just a fire with a black steaming cauldron on it that's always steaming which means there's always yes. hot soup there good it's soup so great is there yes yeah, yeah. it's perfect it's, yeah, it's it really is and then you know the kids play in the meadow so okay they have like an old fashioned schoolhouse so that's the aesthetic yes. Yes, go on and on. Very um, Amish in a very lot of ways. Amish. Not clothing yes. wise, of course. Remove that from your mind. So separate yeah. Amish from your mind completely. But in terms of housing and yes. like even like lamp, the light situation and stuff on some level, it's yes. it's Amish if they weren't worried about look things looking too nice aesthetically. If that makes sense, because mm -hmm. I know we talked about mm -hmm. Amish not like beautifying too much. And there is some, there's a good deal of beautification in this um, village, I would argue. Like things look, it's a movie. So things look very aesthetically arranged and placed in the houses as well. But they're very bare. They're pretty sparse. You know, it's not like they're out there yes. looking like, woo, we got it all the decor up. We've, it's, yeah. It looks like a shaker village. Yeah. Yes, it does. So it's very yeah. like stuff that we've been on board with before. This is in the same line. If you haven't seen the village for some reason and you live under a rock and you're still listening, even though we told you not to. Yeah. Um, and you've directly disobeyed us. And yeah. you directly <laughs> disobeyed our verbal word. No, um, you can do what you want, I guess, if you're still listening. Um, also, just may I say the word greenhouse or whatever, oh, the, whatever yes. the hell that word is for this, this situation. With the flowers, with the drapage, I know I'm getting ahead of myself and I don't want to talk about it all right now, but the, uh, uh, it's too much. It's too much. You know why? Because when it is the 1800s, if you have a thriving community, you have like an incentive and the time to do beautiful handwork. That's why it doesn't exist anymore. Yes. And that's why it was such a thing back then. You would like literally hand tat your lace to put around the cuffs of your dress. And like people saw that and understood what kind of work that was. And that's really cool. And you see that in their clothes, all these beautiful little hand smocking and like things that aren't appreciated anymore. Like, huh, okay, so gorgeous aesthetic, blah, blah, blah. Um, the, the, uh, they're kind of establishing at the very beginning that this is like a, a place out of, out of place and time, right? So something that I noticed right away is that um, their language is a little bit, sorry, dry throat, uh, a little bit flowery. Again, very much like, I mean, if you're, if you were a kid that sat around reading Little Women when you were a kid, like Ameren and I, right. um, their speech is more flowery. It's more full of descriptive words. Oh, what manner of this that has, that has distracted you, you know, like, rather mm -hmm. than like, what are you looking at? You know, um, and yeah. so that is, that is in fact, 
like 1800 speech, but it, for us, it, it really shows like their cadence and their way of speaking is, is very separate from ours. Also, they do not use contractions in the mm-hmm. village. Nary yeah. a contraction. I'm guessing this throwback to what you said a minute ago has to do with the like use of the primers from a certain time. Like they're very mm. intentional plugging in of stuff from a very particular era. I'm guessing why that is that's why it would match up so much is because they're literally teaching mm-hmm. the kids from birth, I would guess. That's a good that point. older that's English good where they use less contractions, which is really good movie work, I would argue. I too would argue that I will stop screaming at Roger Ebert, but I mean, maybe, maybe rethink it, sir. Uh, in the afterlife, <laughs> um, blessings on your path, sir. Uh, let's see. So I was, I'm just looking through my notes here. Okay, so there is a bad color. It is no surprise the color red. Um, so you kind of, it's kind of part of the plot exposition when you're seeing all these beautiful scenes. You see them like bury a red flower, uproot it and bury it, you know, and. Um, so red is the bad color. Red is forbidden. We learned that that's because there are monsters who wear red capes and who uh, pose a great threat to the village, which is why nobody can ever leave ever. And there's we don't go into their woods. Yep. They don't go into our village. There's a truce, but you can never, ever leave. Um, and so they wear red and they don't like the villagers to have red. So to keep the truce, you don't have any red. Um, but then there's yes. a color which is yellow which is just as i love a safe color just as much i yes. look we all have magical thinking this is some enjoyable is fantastic thinking. so and I love the mcdonald's brand colors <laughs> nicely enough um it made me think of one story that i have to tell just be, it, I think of it every time I watch The Village. So Solace has a little bestie. Um, her name is Vivian. She's the best little girl in the world. They've grown up together. They definitely like each other. Whatevs. Um, but Vivian's favorite color is yellow. Like she obsessively loves yellow. She wears yellow every day of her life. Um, and so I t- we were, at, have I told this story before? I don't think so. Okay, good. Because you're about to hear it. So uh, one day, I t- well, we were all her family and my family, we were at like a a kid festival and there was like a little kid Ferris wheel and it was painted yellow. And so Solace and Vivian, they were like five years old and they were like, Oh, we've got to go on this yellow Ferris wheel. It's Vivian's thing. So like they get on it and they're going, but Vivian finds it scary. And when I, I was like getting up close to try to take a picture of them and I heard Vivian screaming, I can't believe yellow would do this to me. (laughs) oh my gosh the safe color violated its boundaries oh my goodness (laughs) that's so sad and sweet yeah it kind of plays out in this movie so i can't believe yellow yellow would do that so okay so uh so we love the aesthetic the aesthetic is beautiful the setup for the story is that you cannot leave the village there are monsters they're referred to as those we don't speak of there's also a shed that is what is it called the forbidden shed the the shed we don't go into or something (laughs) elegant like that yeah something like the shed ye shall not enter this shed (laughs) right so Again, I agree with you. I like some borders. Everyone in every single house has um, a black box, a plain black box that stays locked and sits in a dark corner. And the kids are like starting to the kids now are in their early 20s. So the kids now are starting to be like, what the fuck with the black box? And the parents are like, 
those are our secrets that we not forget our past and repeat it. So you're like, okay, we there's an undercurrent. There's something going on here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I did have one note about the bad color, though. I can, in order to live in the village, I'm perfectly fine giving up the color red. Totally fair exchange. However, this occurred to me. If you give up the color red, real, real reality, no salsa. No spaghetti. Ooh. Hmm. What other things are we giving up if there's no red? Okay. Strawberries of any kind. Strawberries of all kinds are gone. Raspberry. Well, raspberries are kind of pink. But what if I think raspberries? My question is if you're a well, this is a very per- important question, Jesse. If mm-hmm. you're, if you have monsters around the village who are like red, ironically, who are just like LDS Jesus, are like red is our color, not yours. Yeah. I kind of <laughs> forgot that they were wearing the cloaks in red yeah. for a split second when we were talking, even though I just rewatched this movie. And I was like, oh my God, yeah, it's not like they don't like the color like bulls. It's literally like they like the color. They're like, it's mine yeah. for me. So I love that. Yes. that yeah. uh, but yeah, they, yeah, kind of a, kind of an interesting approach. And I wonder if you risk pink in that scenario is what I was going to oh, say. Oh, I don't think you do. I don't so that's care. what I I'm saying is that I think the whole all movie. red, no, I think all red adjacent colors are also yeah. one is kind of what I was trying to ramp up to, I guess there slowly yeah. but surely. So I don't think I even saw any purple. Uh-uh. So I think that you lose like a whole sunset of colors sort of here. Right. And I yeah. don't, I don't love that. It, you know, I, orange, I think would be more on the table, but that's sort of like orange is their gray. Yeah. You know, that's just blow your yeah. mind a little bit there um, with some philosophy. No, I'm kidding. All right, let's continue. Um, but yeah, I think, I think. I will uh, give up that whole spectrum of color, but it is hard to give up salsa. It's sort of a cornerstone of my diet. I guess it would, yeah, it would depend so, on if there was otherwise that. access to salsa. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I think we had kind of a mm-hmm. gap for a second there. And massively, you spoke at like a million miles an hour. So I don't know if it recorded that way or not, but that's okay. Listeners, don't let us know. There's nothing we can do about it. Okay. Um, <laughs> I did make a note here that they've kind of set up passion as the enemy. Their speech is dispassionate. They've gotten rid of the color red. Uh, they're very careful in their actions and in the way that they treat each other. They have gotten rid of passion. Now we're going to learn, you know, in the spoiler alert for everyone, we're going to learn that the elders who set this up are in fact from modern times. They're all victims okay. of extremely violent crimes and they've chosen to leave modern society in favor of a place where violent crimes don't happen. Um, and so they created a world in the 1800s with just their each other and their children and, and, and programmed Uh, a lack of passion into it. But you see that sort of playing out because there are lots of references in this movie over like love is actually the theme of the whole movie, romantic Mm -hmm. love between the older generations, between the younger generations coming up into, you know, romance for the first time. Um, And you see a whole lot of references of people. uh, They keep referencing like, well, how do you know that person likes me? Well, because they don't touch you. Mm. they never touch you um and so you you see kind of people who the movie makes clear are in love and yet they can not act out on it because it would it would be too much passion now the young people do get married and carry on there's not none of they're right. not a shaker community 
they're not even religious at all. That's not part of this. Um, I don't think they even have a church. I don't think there's ever a God mentioned. These are science people uh, yeah. more than anything. Um, I would, I would call them liberals of this time period. Um, I think, don't you? I think so. Yeah, probably like so. a history professor. And yeah. So anyway, I, I just say all that to say like they in creating a society where they could feel safe and they're reacting against like the intense passions that create violent crimes. They eliminated passion as intentionally as as part of their community, which kept them safe. But it does kind mm-hmm. of tamp down some of the beautiful things of life. All right. So on we go. Um, so let's see the the. Okay. Joaquin Phoenix, who is the one of the two main characters, goes to the Council of Elders. He believes he has grown up in the community. He's in his early 20s. He believes the lie of the community, but he believes. Mm-hmm. So a child has just died right at the beginning. That's how it opens. And mm-hmm. the re- people wouldn't be dying so easily if they just had like amoxicillin, but they don't have any medicines. They're long since out of medicines that they brought with them. And so they're like, well, we can't go to the town. So if people die, then people die. Like we're not, we've taken a vow. We're never going back. But he doesn't know that there's, he knows that there's something called the towns outside and that they're dangerous and violent and right. full of bad people and that they can't access them anyway because they can't get through the woods because of those we don't speak of. So he comes and he says to the elders who set this up and know the reality, he says, you know, um, I think that I'm pure of heart and they'll sense that about me and let me through and I'll be safe. And I want to be brave and go get medicine so that no more children die in our community. And of course the elders are like, absolutely not because they know that it's just a world out there and like, this would like ruin everything for them. Right. So they're like, no, you can't do that. Um, And in response to that, they have a big surge of um, those we don't speak of coming into the village and scaring everybody. Right. So they, those we don't speak of are big, scary, red caped, bony costumes that the elders put on to come in and and scare people into stopping asking questions. And so they come in, there's like a a night of terror and the Joaquin Phoenix character comes rushing in and saves the very nice blind girl, Bryce Deller, but Dallas Howard. Um, And it's fucking gorgeous. Again, this, the, the cinematography. I also oh, yeah. wrote, let's see. I also, where's my note on that? So it's a, it's a beautiful romantic scene, but I wrote, uh, if someone doesn't give me that striped skirt and that yellow smocked apron, I'm going to freak out. Yes. Fair take. Fair <laughs> take. Very like beautiful best yellow apron. Uh, yeah. Um, so that takes us up to about the middle of the movie. Uh, but Amarin, I've yammered and yammered. What are your notes up to this point? My notes at this point are kind of just talking about, and I guess it's important for me to note to listeners. I don't know how important it is for me to note this or how clear this already is, but I've seen The Village a lot. So I watch mm. it. My notes are going to be different because of that. I'm not going to be making as many like, I don't know. I just am going to be, and I also went to school as an English major. So I'm sorry if I sound insane, but I, you know, my notes are a little more thematic uh, probably <laughs> um, than they need to be. But I um, was really interested in just the 
kind of the themes that the different characters represent, specifically like the children and the way that they're kind of playing together in the beginning of the film, not literally their older children, uh, more grown up now, but the way that they're interacting with each other thematically. Um, obviously, like Bryce Dallas Howard's character is, um, she's very innocent, obviously, is probably like the main thing, very trusting, very, mm-hmm. um, has a lot of naivety and um, kind of just, you know, she's just got a lot of purity that's embodied within her. And then Joaquin Phoenix's character, as you've talked about is in this space where he's asking for permission to go out. He's sort of like something that you fear if you're trying to keep people from going out into the real world that's actually out there and not staying outside of the woods um, because he's ambitious a little bit and he kind of has some of that passion. And it's kind of interesting to see those two archetypes represented in these characters, because that's a very real thing within groups like these, um, not like these, obviously. They're just a very real thing within groups that are communes or communities, cults, etc. Mm. Um, that you see archetypes like this and they're kind of handled similarly, which is interesting because it happens in spaces where it's not like totally myth, which is interesting. Um, but I also was really interested watching it this time, just thinking about the fact that these characters, like I am so down with joining the village and I'm so down with being the parents and the founders, but I don't know how down I am with being a kid in the village, if that makes sense. I think that mm-hmm. the dichotomy is kind of interesting. Like aesthetically, I I don't know if I like the idea of being a born believer in the group and actually thinking that all of it's real. I genuinely think it sounds kind of fun to like terrorize people in costumes and <laughs> uh, like keep them in sub like if I was on if I was in the know, I think I would love it, you know? But I'm not sure that it would be so fun. If you weren't in the know, I don't know. It'd be fun and Mm. mythical and you'd be in like this fantasy world and you'd be protected from people that think that they know better and genuinely care about you. So there's an argument to be made either way. But I did find myself thinking, would I actually like this if the blinders came off? And I was like, oh, there is a real world out there. And I've just not been able to experience it because you decided that you couldn't take it. Mm, that's tough. So I would say as a person who grew up in what I'm going to, I think, realistically call a cult, I, I, my, now I had an unhealthy family. And so I, I definitely was looking for stability, maybe more than most children are. Uh, right. But I, in, in my church, nothing felt better to me than being a true believer and behaving to the highest degree possible, the way that my church wanted me to, whether that meant like going to my public school and refusing to celebrate Halloween or refusing Mm -hmm. to say the Pledge of Allegiance, and then my church would applaud me for that, you know, or whether it meant like standing there and saying that I don't think dinosaurs are real, even though I know that dinosaurs are real, right? Like, right. It felt so good to toe the line and just even deny objective reality if it meant like showing allegiance to my church um, that that I would love growing up in the village. I would love it because like there is a set of rules. And if you follow them, you are not just safe. Your life is like beautiful. Right. And I want to follow the rules. I think for most people, the most disappointing thing in this life is that the reality is God didn't give us rules. 
I think we'd love some rules. Yes. Very true. People are rule seekers. They love to follow follow rules and and just have things very clearly laid out for them as to what yeah. they should and shouldn't do because it's very comforting, which totally makes sense. There's nothing wrong with feeling that way. But can you imagine putting on a yellow cape and feeling like it's fine now? Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds great. And I wish I could. It's sort of like if you could yeah. go, it's kind of like if you could do the opposite of eating of the tree of good and evil in the Bible, Christian mm. reference. Sort of like you could eat of the tree of like good and forgetful, and you were just like, "Oh, yes, life is actually fine." But we're in the eighteen hundreds. I think those are the Lotus Eaters, and I think that's a different archetypal book. But (laughs) weirdly, I was also like, "Yeah, this sounds like a lot of different stories (laughs) going a lot of different directions." But yeah, it is like. It is kind of like, though, if you could go, if you, if you forced basically a portal where you could be in a different space, and I think I could be traumatized enough to do such a thing, probably. But yeah, notes wise, I have to say that the characters were really interesting to me this time. I love something that you were already talking about, which is like the no touch thing and just mm-hmm. watching the way that the characters touch and interact with each other. You talked about that beautiful romantic scene where like touch is a very big, the, the coming together mm, of hands is a very yeah. important and, and powerful moment there. Um, and I love that. I love how many of the shots in the first part of this movie are setting up shots in the later part of the movie. I just have to say um, also as a side note where there's just like a bunch of parallels, the grave shot in the very beginning is an intentional foreshadowing of the grave shot at the very end of the film. Um, Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of like, they set up a lot of different things where there are, you see, exhibit a and exhibit b is coming in the second half of the movie and i love that i think that's really fun um in terms of rhythm for the film and helps add to the like mythic quality which is nice so now the film takes a turn um uh joaquin phoenix's character what is his name in the in the movie why can't i remember it um lucius Lucius, Lucius Hunt. Yes. So Lucius, uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character is named Lucius. Um, and then Bryce Dallas Howard's character is named Ivy. So Lucius and Ivy uh, finally like acknowledge their love for each other and actually get engaged. And of course, this is like quick gossip through the village and everybody's like, oh, we're so delighted. We're so happy for you. And it's lovely. Um, so within the village, there is a boy. This is, well, I guess a young man now. This he this is played by Adrian Brody. His name is Noah in the movie. Um, he is obviously special needs of some sort. Um, he reacts inappropriately to any situation. If it's scary, he laughs and claps. If it's, you know, he, he hits people. He does things that nobody else in the village does. No one is violent. He is violent. Mm-hmm. No one is... Uh, you know inappropriate emotionally he is and everyone is very gentle and kind with him about it but what's interesting and this is where i'll diverge the most because this this to me is maybe the crux of the of the movie um in the fec line of communities their uh their founder her name is kat kincaid uh and she wrote a book called is it utopia yet she wrote mm-hmm. extensive, like tons and tons of, uh, because she was setting up the, this network of communes who were utopian based communities, right? 
Absolutely, right. we would call the village an attempt at a utopian community. Some people might say it is a dystopian community, which is where it goes horribly awry. And it's like the opposite of <laughs> wonderful. I right. don't think it's that. But um, the village is an attempt at, I, I believe they call their community Covington Woods. Is that what they call their community? Yeah, I believe you're right. Okay. So Covington Woods is built to be a utopia. Um, but uh, in all of Kat Kincaid's writing about the the, the actual real life utopian communities that she's founded that are now like turning 50, turning 60. Our stuff is in the Smithsonian at this point. Like mm -hmm. these are well-established, well-traveled, well-documented communes, utopian-based communes at this point in history in real life. Kat wrote yeah. extensively about the fact that you will never have utopia. That is a myth. You, it doesn't exist. And so here are these people who have tried to create a world where none of that stuff can come into it, right? Like violent yep. crime can't come in. We're going to raise these children intentionally. Nobody else will have influence on them. It can't like these problems from the outside, drug abuse, things, these things can't come in and touch us, right? But mm -hmm. here is a child within their midst has special needs. You can't, you can't control that. Yeah. Like, right. Like that's going to come into your community. You're gonna have to deal with that no matter how much you have secluded yourself. Right. And in fact, if you seclude yeah. yourself, you're going to create people with special needs because that's how genetics works. So there is actually that sure. to consider as well. Certainly the Amish and FLDS have taught us that. So, yes. so to me, the crux of the movie is, okay, we made a utopian community. We walled out everybody else. We did our very best to completely control all the input so that we can fully control the output. And our, our goal is utopia. It's nonviolence. It's love. It's peace, mm -hmm. right? Which is what we all want, right? They get a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And I think utopian communities do get a lot of that. I've spent a huge amount of time in the utopian FEC communities and, uh, they get it mostly right. And it's wonderful. But right. um, you simply can't control everything. People are going to be born with special needs. People are going to have violent impulses, even when not all of them. No, but someone's yeah. going to someone is going to have violent impulses within the most peaceful communities. Again, we see it in peaceful communities. We see it and it's an aberration, but it exists, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, the the two adults that are elders that never touch hands, even though it's made clear to us that they love each other. It's not real prominent, but you do see that actually the man is married. That's why they can't like they, they can't he can't break his marriage vow. That's the whole point of this kind of community is to not act on feelings like that. Right. And mm -hmm. so I don't know, is that better or worse? Right. They they love each other. They would they like they are clearly meant to be together. They love each other. But she's going to have to be a single mom right. forever. And he's going to be married to this other woman forever who he also loves. They kind of show that. Um, and is that better or worse? I'd argue it's better because I don't like trollops who break up marriages, but that's just, that's just my own. Just a fair opinion. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but my point, I don't, I'm not meaning to ramble, but my point is, I think this is the crux of it is that in your utopian community, how do you deal with somebody who is violent, who is operating outside of your norms? Um, you know, if somebody eventually will have an affair, how do you deal with these things within a place that you set yourself up to not have to deal with them 
And then you have to learn the harsh reality that you can't keep it out. And they, they vocalize this in the movie several times. Elders say, mm-hmm. we, built, we built this up to be protected from this. We can't protect ourselves from this. You know, one elder says, yeah. I lost, I lost half of my family to the violence in the towns. I lost the rest of my family here. Yeah. Yeah. So I say all that yeah, to say, I think the, that the that's plot, very important. Yeah. I think that's what this is about. And since we're talking about the community itself and whether we join it, not so much about whether or not we like the plot, um, it's, this is the point, right? Like here we are in this beautiful utopian community. You can't keep out all the things that are scary and hard. You can't keep them out. They're going to show up. And so do we, do we, can we deal with that eventuality? Can we deal with, with what, what, like, okay, let me move forward. So the plot turns at this point, um, Lucius and Ivy get engaged. Everybody hears about it. Um, and now Noah, who has special needs and really likes Ivy, but he has more of a child's mind, right? He is not reasoning. Mm-hmm. He has the body of an adult, the strength of an adult, but his mind is very childlike. And his mind says, I like Ivy. Ivy's mine. I like Ivy. And so he goes to Lucius when he learns that they've become engaged and he stabs him in the stomach. Lucius falls down on the Mm -hmm. ground. He stabs him several more times. Like He's not Mm -hmm. even like, oh, I stabbed you once. That was an act of passion. He's like, no, I'm going to keep you're on the ground bleeding out. I'm going to stab you a couple more times. Then, of course, his hand is covered in the bad color. I could go on and on about that. But why bother? Um, And what are they going to do with him? They don't have a jail. They have a, what they call a quiet room, which is a good idea. I like the quiet room. It's a lovely, you know, quiet room with nothing in it but a rocking chair. And if you're bad, you go in there and you sit in the quiet room and look out on the beautiful pastoral scenes in your rocking chair. So you're like, you chill the fuck out, right? So they put him in the quiet room, right? right? But he just stabbed somebody. What do you do? What do you do with that person now? If he murders somebody, does he just live in the quiet room now? What like and by the way, he escapes the quiet room <laughs> because it's not a prison. It's just a little clapboard room. So he gets out. Okay, so we move along in the in the plot. Um, but but there you are. They built a whole I mean, they really went to great lengths. You find out later that they paid off the government to not have airplanes fly over the nature preserve they're in so that they can all pretend that it's the 1800s. So they really, really went all out went to have this community with yeah. no violent crime. And a murder happens. I mean, he doesn't die, but like the intention is murder. He's stabbed right. several times. He would die were it not for the heroic actions of Ivy. So so we'll say that a, a murderous crime takes place in the place that they did all of this to never have that happen. Right. Yeah. So yeah. do we want to live in this beautiful utopian community? Yeah, I do. But but are we equipped there to deal then when things are not the ideal that we set up and then you get there do you want to live in a community that has a a prison right no not rest not usually because then someone has to make the decision about who goes into the prison you've got to maintain it you've got to look at this person you loved in the prison how's that helping any like there's all these questions and and then so then what do you shun them do you put them back in the towns right what do you do do you kill them there's basically no good 
answer for what you have to do in that situation. There's no good answer. Well, and so M. You're M. Night Shyamalan picks. Yes, right. And so M. Night Shyamalan actually does find the only good answer, which mm-hmm. is that he is accidentally killed. Yeah. So, so moving the plot along, um, uh, Joaquin Phoenix is going to die of his injuries, not because of the injuries, but because of the infection that is set in. Um, mm-hmm. And so the elders say, you know, if Ivy's father, kind of the ultimate elder, says to the other, to the doctor who can just like prescribe apples, he says, uh, you know, if we had medicine, would he live? And the doctor is like, it doesn't matter. We don't have it. And he's like, but would he live? And the doctor is like, yes. So they've all taken a vow not to leave. And so he sends his blind daughter out to go save her love. And she loves him so much that she's brave enough to do it. He explains to her, this is all bullshit. Here's the costumes we've been wearing. Here's why we do this. Let me explain to you why. He tells her all the history. Now we understand we're in modern times. Mm-hmm. Um, now we understand the plot and the background. Everything makes sense. Uh, her mind is obviously blown. <laughs> yes. Um, and then off she goes, right? So, but she's she's the only one who's been told that it's bullshit, right? And so they send her out into the woods with two boys to help her because she's, let's not forget, blind. Yep. So two boys are supposed to help her get through the woods for a day's journey and then like get her on a, like a path in the woods so she, her feet can feel the clear path and get her out of the woods, right? So, right. um, but these boys can't handle it, partly because they're dumb boys and partly because... They have not been told this is all bullshit, nor would they probably believe it even if they were told that. So they put on their cloaks of the safe color and then they're like out and the boys start to be like, "Uh, hey, Ivy, they probably won't kill you because you're handicapped, which is like, I know that's not a word we use, but that's basically what they were saying at that time. Um, And they they were like, but like, they'll kill us because they won't feel sorry for us. And so they're like, we got to go back. We got to just leave you blind in the woods by yourself. And go. Ivy says, Ivy says, but we have the magic rocks <laughs> because because they had like the elders knew that she that these boys wouldn't be able to handle how scary it was. And so they were like, right. just add to the story. Tell them these are magic rocks. They already believe they're in a safe color. Just tell them those are magic rocks. And one of the boys is like, yeah, see, we have the magic rocks. And the other boy is like, why haven't we heard of these rocks before? <laughs> Like, <laughs> understandable understandable feeling i would feel so, the same so the boys leave um ivy continues on her way she ends up falling in a gi- it's a terrible it's icy it's rainy it's horrible she falls in a it's giant horrible. mud hole um she climbs her way out of the giant mud hole her walking cane snaps in half but as she's walking as she's climbing clawing her way out of this muddy pit she feels kind of the surroundings around her right she goes on through the woods and uh, those we don't speak of comes out of the woods and attacks her and tries to kill her. So she's running away. She finds herself back next to this hole, which she recognizes from the trees she feels around it. And there was a game. Let me set you back for a second. There was a mm-hmm. game that the town's boys would play where they'd raise their hands up and stand right at the edge of the forest and see how long they could stand there and be brave before they ran away because the those they don't speak of would in theory come out and chase them because they were too close to the right. woods, right? So it's a game they played. So Ivy stands right at the edge of the hole. She puts her arms up because she's playing the game, right? And then 
when she hears the monster coming, she dodges at the last minute and the monster falls into the hole and she's saved. And then we see at the bottom of the hole, it's Adrian Brody. He's put on the costume. So there's a moment where we as the audience are supposed to be like, oh my gosh, they are real and they were bullshitting us and this is the twist. But then we see it's Adrian Brody. Yet again, your utopian community has now created a double murderer. Um, but yeah. M. Night Shyamalan gives us an out. You know, Adrian Brody dies in the hole. So we don't have to deal with the lifelong question of what do we do with the criminal? But we know that eventually they will. Because yes. now we see like this is the nature of reality and this is going to come up again. Right now right. we know they're going to have to grapple with these things. So Ivy goes on, she gets the medicine, she comes back. Um, and, and that's basically the movie. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but, but the, yeah, the, the end is that she gets back with the medicine and also she now really believes that these things are real right? Because she was attacked by one. Mm-hmm. So we don't know if her father lets that stand or not. I kind of assume they do. Um, and the elders agree like, well, well, we'll bury Noah and, you know, this makes our stories true. So it actually works out for them. Um, but that's, that's the plot of the movie. Um, what do you think of the, we've got like different sets of characters. As you said, we've got the children born in, we've got the young adults coming of age in the first generation of true believers. And then we've got the elders who know what's going on. Um, What do you think of this? Oh, also I wrote, if someone doesn't give me Sigourney Weaver's blue and white gingham apron, I will be so mad. (laughs) Also such a fair and appropriate thing to include. I think I I also wrote at some point, if someone doesn't, I know. I wrote, if someone doesn't give me that striped skirt and that windowpane blouse, I will be so mad. The windowpane blouse. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know exactly. It comes right to mind. I love it. Um, I I have a lot of thoughts. I think that I think I love the ending of this movie. I know that some people don't. I think that I am so into the idea of like this. I love the symbolism of this young woman who is blind, who has this information shared with her, her eyes are opened, if you will, metaphorically to this thing that the group has been kept in the dark about. Right. And she's told here, here is the actual thing that's going on. Um, But, but she's experiencing it, you know, in this one way, Um, And then she goes on this on this journey and she has this very real experience um, from her perspective, very scary um, experience where she's encountering one of these monsters and her belief like is able in a weird way, even though you would think it would never be able to come back from the demystifying experience that she's had in the in the shed ye shall not enter. Um, (laughs) She is she's once again kind of conveniently offered the chance to go back in, um, which I think into the group and into the mindset and into the space, which I think is so interesting because not to be that person, but I think this is like an integral part of, I think this is beautiful allegorically because I think this is an integral part of this type of group. And I think Mm -hmm. that there is this watershed moment that people have when they're in groups where they maybe are getting into kind of like a group think almost, if you will. Um, 
or they're going with the flow to use a way more vague term um, with what's going on with their community. And then they sort of Mm -hmm. maybe have their eyes open for a second to something they maybe don't agree with because it's so uncommon that we have some pure, perfect alignment with everything in this entire group that you're a part of. And then sometimes it becomes kind of hard to put your cool with it glasses just right back on, you know, and then your eyes are kind of opened. Um, But a lot of people I've talked to describe kind of having this experience of, kind of like having the mental divide of like, I could go back in and I could just, yes, I do. Go. That's the story of my life. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And so I love that being represented in this film. I love that, you know, like you could argue, Oh, the plot, you know, it's convenient. And like, she literally can't see it. That's too on the nose. I don't know. You could say things like that, but mm-hmm. I think that this is a really deep concept. And I think that showing it in such a visually, clear way is very powerful because of the depth of what we're talking about and I think that just representing that experience of being like my eyes have been open to this but now I've had this moment that's sort of like confirmed with some bias for me what's happened and I'm not seeing things clearly my I I am obscured from this like reality is not clear to me but I kind of have this opportunity to go back in and you go back in for some reason. In this instance, it's because she's taking life-saving medicine to her. The love of her life. Yeah. <laughs> the love of her life. So she goes back. Of course she goes back. How often is that the reason people go back to groups like this? A long time. Um, so not life-saving medicine necessarily, but romantic interests. Sometimes it probably is life-saving medicine. Um, but yeah, I think it's really intriguing. I think it's really different if you thought experiment, think about the different groups at different levels, like we talked about earlier, thinking about the founders versus the firstborn generation of believers and these different broken out groups. I find it interesting, but I honestly think that there are pluses and minuses to each of them. And I think I think I would be okay with being a part of the group on many levels. I love mythology of things. Oh, same. I'm so cool with that. Like, I'm I'm just so, I'm so cool with it. And it's like, it's not, wow. I almost had it a little too agnostic. I was almost like, some, it all may not be real anyway. So like, is it so bad if your parents make up or your grandparents or your ancestors made up something that they thought would keep you safer? Probably not as long as murder is not rampant. That's my take. <laughs> I don't know how you would suppress it, but yeah. Yeah, I um one one little touch that M. Night Shyamalan added to the movie that I really liked, other than his own reflection in the movie, which he always does, which I also like. Um, one little thing that I, I really liked was that um when Ivy climbs the fence and goes into the modern world and a little Jeep drives up to her on the the wilderness, you know, preserve that she's on, um, the guy is driving a normal, he's driving a Jeep, he's on a paved road, but she has just climbed a, a wooden fence, climbed down a trellis of ivy, and she's standing in the grass, and she's blind. Um, and the guy says to her, like, the guy talks to her, and she explains what she needs, and he's like, what the fuck is happening? And then he's like, okay, whatever, I'll go get you this medicine. So he says, stay where you are, and he leaves and comes back. Her feet never touch pavement. Mm. So she's actually... She really never leaves her community. Mm-hmm. I mean, she goes on a journey of courage, but she never, ever actually crosses a line into the modern world. 
She never yeah. touches money. Her feet don't touch the pavement. Imagine what her feet would feel like touching pavement. What is happening? Yeah, it's almost all just like symbolic, almost because I would argue that the wall is kind of a boundary, but it's so interesting that like you're saying, it's not the real boundary, right? Because it doesn't shed any light on the city. It doesn't awaken any questions. Right. The pavement is like that real boundary, but there is a very large boundary that she has to deal with. So it's interesting because, yeah, no, the pavement is definitely that boundary and she just never quite, never quite gets there. um, Despite she's like five feet away from it, but she never moves. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and and even the medicine he brings back to her, it's not in a plastic something. It's in a glass something. It's yeah. not anything from the modern world that she has not touched before. It's all yeah, within her definition of how the world works, which I just think is a, a nice artistic touch. But it is a nice artistic touch. I just realized something. She would have touched something modern. Maybe she wouldn't have known. But isn't the ladder that the guy has in his car because you never see her go back up, but like you see the shot of the guy in the car with the pocket watch on the mirror of his car, which she exchanged for the medicine. And that tells us, okay, it went off and there's a ladder in the car with him. And it's like aluminum metal. I think it's like a modern. It is. It's a modern aluminum, but she is exposed to cast iron, which I think she would perceive as a different version of, you know, yeah. yeah, texturally that wouldn't be that different. I thought I was for a second. I was like, I was like, well, that would be pretty weird. But you probably it might have been be slightly like, yeah, weird. But but she is exposed to metal. Yeah, yeah, that's so, true. And if she's worried about other stuff in general, I don't think that that would be the thing that would off put <laughs> off put her and put her on the trail of anything else. Um, <laughs> no, no. But yeah, she returns to her peaceful community, and then almost because of the myth and the death and well not 100 percent because of everything that's happened and all the drama that's unfolded even though the elders and the community is confronted with this horrible task of like i don't know almost impending doom of like we're gonna have to deal with this again at some point as you said mm-hmm. they're briefly in the moment it's taken care of and we actually find them refreshed right. in their mythology they have more fuel to support what's been said this girl that was exposed to the truth is even kind of back you know looped back in and mm-hmm. some you know like there's another debt there's just a lot of alignment that helps them further cement in their story um moving well forward, and let me which add is this just to it as interesting. yeah i totally agree yeah and and that's yeah that that is correct. And so it gives us confidence that the community is going to move forward. But I would say maybe, and this is just occurring to me in real time, but I think it's pretty, they have one, like, probably my favorite scene in the movie is when the, uh, so Ivy's father is kind of the lead elder. And in fact, we find out later, it's his family money that has set all this stuff up. So that's probably why he's the lead elder. Um, but he, and it was his idea. This whole thing was his idea, because he was an mm-hmm. American history professor. Um, so uh, he brings the other elders together and he says, I'm sending my blind daughter to the towns. And they're like, you, like, this is, they are not religious, but this is what's sacred to them. Their vow and keeping this community together is what's sacred to them. And so they are mind blown. You might as well just say like, I've stopped believing in Jesus to like your Christian cult. Right. So he says, I'm sending my daughter to the town. They're like, you can't do that. We took a vow. And he's like, well, you know, I took a vow. We took a vow. 
she didn't take a vow. And they're like, no, it like we'll lose everything. And he makes a speech about how, you know, Ivy loves her partner. Her partner loves her. The world is created to move for love. If we choose the rigidity of holding our community in this exact space, even if some, if, and this is what he says, we're here to protect innocence, which takes you back to what you were saying about Ivy in the first place, that she's very innocent, but Mm -hmm. all of these young people are right. He says, we are here to protect innocence. That's what we're here for. And if we let a person die who we could save, we are not innocent. So this is the point where they could choose as a community with elders who make the decisions and have all the information. This is a turning point, a fork in the road, and they can go, we choose to stay the course, keep our vows, not change, be rigid, and not risk losing our community because it's based on a lie and we'd be giving up the lie. Right. So they could choose to be rigid and unturning. Which is what cults do, and it is always their downfall. Yes. Or they can veer off and and go, and they discuss this, and they say, you're right, we have to choose to protect innocence. We have to choose um, to save this person's life. And if our community folds, then it folds. Mm -hmm. And that flexibility is what saves their community because had they chosen to be rigid and not let her go, yes, he would have died. Yes. We would then have had a murder, you know, uh, also Noah, the Adrian Brody's character would not have died. Then they've got Mm -hmm. a murder to deal with. That would have actually signaled the end of their community. Yeah, no, it would have been impossible to come back from. And that's another thing that, I mean, unless they totally buried it themselves, which would be so, dark for them that they would have that would ruin them too then they would just have too much the townsfolk knew that noah stabbed him right so they couldn't you know and he wouldn't have died if he if ivy hadn't been out there and lured him into a pit of death (laughs) right you know so so the alternate had they chosen rigidity in their belief system and this is so true in all communal groups but cults more than anything had they chosen rigidity, which they were leaning into, they would have unraveled. They'd have had a living mm-hmm. murderer to deal with. They would have a, a murdered, beloved community member on their hands, a shattered woman on their hands. They would have unraveled with these things that they were not ready to so quickly absorb and deal with. But they chose, rather than rigidity, they chose fluidity and a willingness to let go of their community in order to uphold their ideals rather than their rules. And that's what saved them. And I think that's a great allegory for any community. Yeah, that is very nice. That's a very good point. It's very necessary. And I think that I don't know, I would argue that they're very it's a it's a fictional thing for which is relevant, but I would argue that this group is kind of aided by the fact that a lot of groups that we talk about that are real groups on the show, there's a variety, but some of them are younger um, groups, haven't been around as long, and then some of them are very, very old and have been around for a really, really long time. 
And a lot of those groups that have been around for a really, really long time really struggle with this rule thing. And they're like, okay, we're, you know, like I walk the walk, I talk the talk. But when push comes to shove, sometimes they don't, they don't practice what they preach when it comes to, you know, the actual application. And sometimes I think that that can be because they're so far from like their founding. So I kind of argue on a like metaphorical level or a literal little bit too little literal level in the film that being able to go straight to the founders, you know, and be able to go straight to people. Yeah. Be like, you're the ones that came up with this. What do you think we should do? I definitely think that they have a benefit having those original minds there to say, well, we've always been about this, you know, a couple generations down the line mm-hmm. that could sour for them, you know, a couple more when it's Joaquin Phoenix's grandkids, maybe yeah. they don't have as much of a conviction about why they're doing the things they've been doing for several generations. Interesting. to right. consider. I don't know. Just a thought experiment, but I love what you're saying. And I think it's so right that fluidity is literally like, you want to run a successful cult, be a little more fluid with your um, ability to adhere <laughs> to the things that you're super passionate about and that you tout to your community that you are all about, that those are your ideals. You need to defend those ideals and back them, even if it's like scary and a risk, because what are you if not? Yeah. You know. Be willing to be wrong about the rules you've set up. Exactly. You can't always, yeah, you have to be trustworthy more than anything. You have to you be did, dependable. You did remind me though, there's a, a, I skipped through some of my notes here, but there was a part in the movie where Ivy is saying that she wants to go to the towns and she says to her father, you are my father. I trust you above all else in all things. I will do whatever you tell me to do. And I was like, congratulations on having a great dad, Ivy. <laughs> <laughs> Must be nice. That's hilarious. <laughs> La-dee-da, Ivy. <laughs> we get it. We get it. <laughs> I love it. That's amazing. How okay, funny. the last of my notes here are, OMG, these bustles on these dresses, and if somebody doesn't give me these hand-knit shawls and this yellow felted cape, I will freak out. That's it. Yellow felted notes. cape. Yellow felted cape. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> it's very important to me. Um, yeah. Wow. I, yeah. Uh, closing note to say that I love the film. I love the way that it, I love the feeling that the film elicits, um, at the end of it, which is just kind of like, I don't know. It's a very like tinged kind of unsettling, comforting sort of feeling, um, which I don't know. I'm sure it's very varied for different people, but I just think that it's, a really interesting depiction of a very complicated situation. Um, I like the way it it explores morality and the sin and concepts like that. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that it's really, I think it's really cool. I um, I think that I would the shot always has stay with me of Adrian Brody's character in laying in the pit. Um, and I'm always very mm-hmm. struck by just like the whole, I don't know the concept that the person who was maybe developmentally not on the same level as these other people who is in a more childlike state. It's interesting to see that character as the, the one, that, you know, a lot of times being childlike is good. And in this instance, being childlike was very bad. Um, and it was, it elicited and I think it like, had violence. Been good. Right. I think it had been good for him throughout. He was beloved in the village and his parents were heartbroken at yes. his death. But, you know, so I think, 
I think he was overall perceived as good, but needing to be managed. Yes. Yeah. But it is interesting how he sort of has, yeah, he has a little bit of a balance with that. I do think that it's interesting the way that they show him with Ivy is interesting because she Mm. is sort of to like, I don't know. He very there's a lot of like boundary implications that they show in the imagery with them where she has to like direct like mm-hmm. where he's kissing her, how he's touching her. Um yeah. and it can be yeah. you can pay a lot of attention to it. It can be kind of unsettling um mm-hmm. to notice. But it is it is just like a very interesting yeah, dynamic and that lack of like it's interesting because I would argue, and this is kind of my closing thought, my last one on the film, I would argue that that the innocence that that character shows, which is like what I'm talking about in the childlike reference, the naivety, all of those things combined together. um, It's a, it's a darker one, which is interesting. And Mm. it sort of represents the other side, which we've been saying this the whole time. I'm just saying it in plainer language. It represents the whole future generations and unpredictability of that innocence or that mm-hmm. not knowing, um, which is just so interesting to see that represented in two characters so parallel to each other. And I think it's really interesting that the chaotic character is drawn to the good character and attracted to her and like sort of inextricably tied to to her within yeah. the course of the story. And he has to forcibly rid it from her. Um, the theme, I mean, um, not referring to the characters in it, but she has to, yeah, forcibly step aside, and she's doing that with the char- with Adrian's character throughout the film, and is saying like no, and is asserting this, um, and that's sort of like the final cutoff. Um, and it is interesting because c- it's almost I don't fully know. You could really push that a lot of directions thematically and say that it represents the death of this or the death of that, and like what what that would be playing with there, but. I just really like the concept in and of itself, regardless of what it represents, that there is sort of that exchange and that they are sort of rotating around each other's gravitational pull throughout the story, physically and otherwise, until Mm. kind of that watershed moment. Um, So I think it's very cool. Um, And I would absolutely join the group. I think that if someone just sat me down after all of this had happened, gave me the full download and was like, would you like to get in? I might still be like, yes, unfortunately. I'm ready. Sign me up. Let's go. The thing that I've watched this movie like a hundred times as well. And the thing that always like haunts me about this movie is like, how did that kid see and the, the I'm sorry, the kid uh, who was driving the Jeep, the the kid from the world yeah. who like encounters Ivy, goes and gets her medicine, comes back. It's clear that he fully ranger, understands yeah. what's happening. Like he understands like, oh, holy shit, there's a whole community in here. and They're living off the grid and they don't even know that like we're out here. How does he just go on and live his life? I would be like, well, goodbye job. <laughs> I live in later. the forest now. Like, I'm going to go live with the forest people. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I would... I would just hike right in there. You'd not see me again. Yeah. It's so fair. It's so fair of you to feel that way. And yeah, I don't understand how he does it either. It's like a culture thing though. I feel like, cause he kind of, it's kind of almost implying. I don't know if you feel this way, but like when he goes back to the office and he's like talking about it or the station mm-hmm. or the hub or whatever. And, and the guy's kind of like, yeah, we don't do that. You know, like we just mind our business and we, if there's a person trespassing, we tell them to get out. Um, and it was just, it was interesting. Cause it was just kind of like, yeah, that was kind of the vibe was like, we don't, they're 
that's not our thing. We just don't see that, which yeah, is weird. Yeah. Because that's our story. That's our reality out here. And I guess yeah. that's the point, right? Like that's the reality out here is that they're not there. And so that kid is going to be like, okay, I'll just go back to my, exactly. this is my reality. Not me. I'd have hopped the fence. I re- like if I okay. ever come across that, if I disappear, go ahead and assume that I found something akin to the village and I'm out. You know what happened. <laughs> you know what happened. Absolutely. You guys have bustles on your dresses and there's a constantly boiling kettle of soup. I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So 10 out of 10 on the aesthetics. Big time. Uh, I don't even think we have to rate wackadooiness. Uh, sorry about nah. your life, Roger Ebert. I don't, something went awry for you and I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry. Yeah. I will say I promise it. So I'm going to deliver it. Um, but I'm just going to say it quickly because we've had a hearty discussion about the phone. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Um, reviews. The sandwich, yeah, yeah, the yeah. sandwich comment. Uh, one funny thing about this film, this is not really related at all. This is just a fun fact for you guys. So if you were just here for the spirituality content, skip forward. Um, but the reviews for this film were funny because this film, and you may remember this, uh, was not advertised very well. This film was advertised as like a monster flick and they really played up yes. the monsters. And they were like, and it's going to be scary yeah. and horrific. And so, yeah, it was like a bait yeah. and switch. People thought because they were like, "This is it not was. this is like a drama film," and I don't understand. We weren't like super familiar with the Shyamalan situation, still, I guess. And right? We no, certainly like, not. Yeah, we were getting used. We were getting warmed up still to the Shyamalan yeah. situation, and so at the time, people were like, "What the hell? The monsters weren't even real," you know? Like they didn't like that one bit because um, a lot of monster fans, I guess, existed in the 2000s audiences, and they were desperate for monster content. Uh, mm-hmm. and this did not not live up to expectations um also though i guess a fair amount of people just straight up did not like the ending of the film and at the time i it seems like and this was interesting to me because i feel like Shyamalan is such an icon in 2023 and people almost exclusively speak about him positively where anywhere i hear him spoken about but not really the case at the time and people weren't so hyped on that style of film they were just kind of like Honestly, this is like too artsy for me. It seemed like that's what I was reading the reviews as. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm well, because being rude. they they didn't reading know the reviews, they were I was like, you didn't film. get it. Yeah, you didn't get it. Like it was no. art, more of an art film than you thought. You didn't get it. You wanted more of an action Jake Gyllenhaal feature, and this was not the Prince of Persia. You know, and like that's okay. Uh, we don't like that man here, so I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah, I do recall people mostly saying it wasn't even scary. <laughs> And I was like, scared one single minute. Like, right. Okay. What a flex. (laughs) You're not scared by humanity's ultimate demise. You're not, that's not frightening (laughs) to you as a concept, the way that we can't come together in community and isolate ourselves from the passions of life. Uh, Yeah. No, that was painful. I agree with you. Uh, I will end with this one last connection modern day connection there one of my favorite scenes from the gilmore girls is when uh rory and her best friend lane they're teenage girls and they're talking and uh lane lives in a strict christian house and she's like i'm just gonna run away and move to philadelphia and rory's like well why would you move to philadelphia she's like because m night Shyamalan lives there and rory's like but what would you do in philadelphia and she's like I'd hang out with m night Shyamalan." obviously (laughs) yes just said (laughs) so funny i love it a great scene (laughs) it's so 
Okay, well, yeah. So is this... Okay, for me, I think The Village is the number one. Maybe actually followed closely by... Um, who did we do last last time? The the people that worship the sun. Yeah. The path. The path. The path. Oh, I, I thought you meant literally the last episode of this season. And I was like, no, sorry. no, 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 no. Our I don't last think that that's a group you was the path. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> absolutely. The path also had a similar, similar energy. And I could see what you mean for sure. Also doesn't hurt that the people there not bad. Also hot. Whew, that's also a tough one. hotties. <laughs> okay, so here's two questions for me to you to close it out. Question number one, I'll tell you both before you answer. Question number one, what, of of all the communities we've covered, but now I'm just thinking of the village and the path, of all the communities we've covered, is the village your number one choice or no? Uh, and question number two, if you're choosing between the village's Joaquin Phoenix and the path's what is his name? The oh, hot no. guy in the past. I He's in your town. Aaron Paul. Not Aaron Paul. Aaron Paul. Aaron, Aaron Paul. Yes, Aaron Paul. What was that? Yeah. Okay. So if you're choosing. Okay. So number one is the village, your number one community joining of this stuff we've covered or no. And number two, Walking Phoenix or Aaron Paul. Oh yeah. Okay. So let me, let me commence. So let me commence with the second first, the second first Joaquin Phoenix. I love okay. Phoenix <laughs> all the way all, six ways to Sunday. I take Joaquin Phoenix every time. Number two, answering the first question now. Um, I would say that this probably is not my number one, but it's very, very close. It may be my number one. Um, but the only thing that would come close is the closer is the Quakers. You know I love the Quakers. Oh, I love the rebellious yeah. energy. I the old timey Quakers <sighs> that were storming the aisles. Those yeah. people they put a really good fight up against the village for me. So I oh. don't know. But I do think that they the village has to be top three, undoubtedly, unshakably placed, even projecting forward to the future, I think. <laughs> I think so, too. Okay, well, then we have covered the village. I think it's safe to say we'll see each other there the first chance we get. Uh, M. Night, please make more movies about the village. We just want to go back there. Sequels. Sequels on sequels. Please. Maybe we could do kind of like a Dollywood situation. You could make M. Night (gasps) land, but it would only be about that. You could make the village land. I don't want any of your other films to have any interactive. I don't want to walk into it. They're all scary. No, they're all so scary. I like them, but they're scary. So just the village. None of those old people from the visit. None of those deadly plants. Yeah. I don't want that island where you just turn into a skeleton either. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. Nobody no. needs that. No. Uh, yeah. Just the I village. I will take just the village. And if the capes could be a big part, that would be great. Uh, that would be great. And one of those interactive, almost like Western tinsel type photo booth situations with the clothes. Thank you. That's all of my requests. And mm. night Shyamalan. Good night. Just kidding. It wouldn't hurt if Joaquin Phoenix were there. And additionally, Aaron Paul. Yeah, you know what? Get everybody there. All the actors that have done stuff, if you except could. except for Tom Cruise, get all of them there. Yeah, and not. then he's there. in a different cult. They won't let him come. Okay, yeah, guys, that is it. Uh, let us know what you think about the village. What are your pros and cons? I have literally zero cons. Um, and we will see you for another cult next time. Join us.
Hey friends! If you are loving Cults I Join and want to help us share the fun, here are some actions you can take. Subscribe and share the show on any podcast platform. Rate and review us on Google. This keeps us visible and gives an angel its wings. Or at least that's what our guru says. Follow us at CultsIDeJoin on the .com, the Facebook, and the Insta, and then hit us there with all your comments, discussions, and questions. We really do love hearing what you think. Finally, a huge thank you to our co-creators. Editing and post-production is by DeverWeb, and the biggest thanks to the incomparable Miss Devin Spruill, our theme song creator and performer. You should go soak up her music right now. And that's it, y'all. Thanks for listening, and happy culting!